Well, there's a, a thought that's been quickened to me for a while now, and it, it came as I was reading one of the Psalms. Um, it was Psalm 33. And I wanted to just consider that this morning with you. And Psalm 33 is considered by uh, some to be written by King David, even though it doesn't have a title. And the theme is rejoicing in God. But there's something that jumped out at me as I was reading this. And, and let's look at this together. And in Psalm 33, we'll, we'll read the first four verses. It says, Rejoice in the Lord, O ye righteous, for praise is comely or beautiful for the upright. Praise the Lord with the harp, sing unto him with the psaltery and an instrument of ten strings. Sing unto him a new song. Play skillfully with a loud noise, for the word of the Lord is right, and all his works are done in truth. And so it speaks of the psalmist here, possibly David, and, it, and it's, it's the song of praise being sung to God. And, and it's a song of beauty. It's played upon an instrument of ten strings, and it's a new song played skillfully. And I want to kind of relate this, you know, there's some connecting thoughts we can look at here to really illuminate this and to see how it applies to us as believers. Because I, I think there's much more being spoken here than just singing a good song with a, a ten-stringed instrument. You know, we've got ten-string guitars we could, we could play, you know, but I think it's speaking of more than that, of just singing with, with good instruments. But it's a song that God wants to be sung in heaven and for eternity. And, you know, we've, we've considered that, that awesome group in Revelation 14 that's standing on Mount Zion in heaven, not on earth, but in heaven before the Lamb. And they're called the first fruits unto the Lamb. And so they're a group that God has worked in and, and he's receiving them unto himself as first fruits. And there's a remarkable number of things said about them, and you could, we could do a whole you know, message on that and series on that. But I wanted to look at that one notable aspect that we see in verse 3. So Revelation 14, verse 3, it says, And they sung, as it were, a new song before the throne, before the four beasts and the elders. No man can learn that song but the 144,000 which were redeemed from the earth. And so this wonderful group here is standing before the throne and they're worshiping the Lord. They're worshiping the Lamb by singing a new song. That's just like we read about in Psalm 33. Uh, they were singing a new song to the Lord on their instrument of ten strings. And it was a song that others could not learn and by consequence sing. And so here's this group singing a beautiful song of worship to the Lamb, and others can't sing it. And, you know, we've previously mentioned that, you know, this can speak of, of the song that God gives to us. You know, not just a song that's written upon earth that we sing to the Lord, but yet it can also represent the song that God wants each of us to be able to sing based on our walk with Him in life. Right? And it's the thought that God gives each of us the opportunity to develop a song of praise and worship to the Lamb as we follow the Lamb wherever He leads us. As it also says of this group 
on Mount Zion, right? So that, so that our life becomes the message. And in fact, it's really our life that becomes the song, the song of worship, because we've allowed him to lead us and we've allowed him to work his beauty into us. And of course, these songs are developed in various seasons in our lives. Um, sometimes they're bright and, and sunny and rejoicing. Other times they're dark and cloudy and foreboding, you know, but through dark trials, but yet God's developing a song. Of course, it's like the psalmist said in, in another place, Psalm 77 in verse 6, where he says, I call to remembrance my song, but what is it? It's a song of the night, a song of a dark time. And, and in that time, he says, I commune with my own heart. My spirit made diligent search. And he was just reminding himself of his song, of the song that God was developing within him, even though it was in the night seasons. And so it seems as if a dark season, you know, had come into the psalmist's life here. And he was just, you know, looking to the Lord and recognizing God was developing a song of trust and praise unto the Lord that, that he would keep him and carry him through. And perhaps that song was an encouragement to the psalmist's heart. And perhaps in a sense, he understood that this would be a song that he would be singing in eternity and was reminding himself of that, you know, because it was birthed and worked in him during this life. And one of the things we saw or in, uh, we read in Psalm 33, we read about that aspect of the song of beauty, that it was, it was developed or was played upon an instrument of 10 strings. Now, we don't know exactly what that was, probably a harp or something like that. Whatever, David was pretty, uh, pretty wise in creating different instruments. He was a musical kind of person. So it's one thing like to play music, it's another thing to write music, and then it's another thing to create instruments to do that. But that was the heart of David. He was a worshiper. And, and so he played upon an instrument of 10 strings. And I don't think it was just put in there at random, but it's there to speak to us. You know, it has a meaning, especially when we're considering how will the Lord develop this song of praise or these songs of praise in our lives and there's something we can relate to different people in Scripture. Uh, and one of them is the story of Daniel. And we considered this actually a few weeks ago, I think, of Daniel and his friends. You know, because God had a message or a song he wanted to develop in their lives in the midst of Babylon. And, of course, we remember the story of how they first came to Babylon and one of the very first tests was being presented the king's meat. And of course, that was a problem because the, the king's meat was unclean according to the law. And that's really the key, right? According to the law of Moses, uh, it was ritually unclean because it hadn't been cleansed of the blood when it was killed, but it was off, also offered to idols. And so they had that choice. What are we going to do? Are we going to fast right, forever? Or are we just going to say no and just, you know, if they kill us, they kill us? But they chose to, to 
respond in wisdom, perhaps after a lo- after a prayer meeting, I'm sure. And they, you know, came, it says they came to the, the chamberlain of the court and he said, test us for 10 days. And I think that's not an insignificant number as well, because we're talking about developing a song on 10 strings. And so here in this song of being tested, Daniel comes to the chamberlain and says, test us for 10 days. And their test was eating vegetables instead of the the king's meat. You know, of course, we're going to consider Israel uh, in a moment. We know that they fought against the testing of the Lord and they failed their 10 tests. But, you know, Daniel and company, they embraced the test. They said, you know, they actually came to the chamberlain and said, test us for 10 days, you know, and because they recognized they wanted to walk in the way of the lamb or, you know, as they would say in the way of God, of Jehovah, you know, they, but they recognized following God in obedience to, to his ways was worth more than anything that this kingdom could offer because they were being invited to, to learn the ways of the court of the biggest empire in Babylon and enter into places of authority and so forth, you know, kind of like Moses being in the court of Pharaoh. But they disdained that to choose instead to walk with God and to align their lives with his law because they recognize that's what matters most in life because that's what matters most in eternity. And of course, they came out of that test, it says, more healthy and better looking than anyone else, than all of the other candidates. And, you know, but it was that thought that they were willing to be tested. They were willing to go through what the season God was appointing them. And they came out being better. And and when they appeared before the king, he says something very interesting. You know, the king of Babylon, when when he was seeing Daniel and his friends, Daniel 1 verse 20, it says, And in all matters of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers, all the wise men in his court that were in his realm. And so Daniel and his friends, they were willing to be tested for the ten days, but in the end they came out ten times better. That's because a song had been put into their hearts. Something had been done you know, in, not just in the natural, but in the spiritual realm that it affected the natural. You know, and so the spiritual reality is those who have, have eyes to see that the testing is worthwhile, that the development of what God wants to do is worth it, and they submit to the 10 days, they're going to come out 10 times better in the sight of the king. And of course, not just, any, not just authority on this earth, but in the sight of the king of kings. And that's a good perspective to, to have. Lord, you're asking me to go through this trial, but you know, when I come out, I might be 10 times better in the eyes of the king. You know, from his perspective, from the perspective of the kingdom of God in heaven, that means it's worth it. And so it's encouraging to know that's the perspective of heaven. But it's also encouraging to know that the the our days of testing are numbered, right? He's not going to take, well, he's not going to take one less day, unfortunately, (laughs) right? But also, if we open our heart and say, Lord, work in me, and we receive it, he won't take one more day 
than it needs to if we submit to his process. Now, we, thought, we talk about that thought of submitting because right, we mentioned Israel in the wilderness. That was their problem. They never submitted to one single day or even one hour of testing. Right? That God was trying to produce a song of praise and a song of glory in, in this generation in the wilderness as he was delivering them from Egypt and sustaining them in the wilderness. But time after time, as God was trying to do this work of faith and, and trust and hope in their lives, they kept responding with doubt and fear and anger and mistrust and looking backwards to Egypt instead of looking forward to what God had promised them. And after a relatively short you know, span of time of two years, God finally had to address their responses. And here was his address in, in Numbers 14, verse 21. He said, But as truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. And isn't that what we're looking for? Isn't that the answer for our day? We're looking for the glory of the Lord. But here's, here's where he continues. And in, in a sense, it's how can we can be a people that know and experience his glory. Verse 22 because all these men who have seen my glory and the signs which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and have put me to the test these 10 times, ooh, that's, that's a different way to look at it. You see, when they rebelled against the Lord, it said, God said, well, you were putting me to the test. You're testing my patience. <laughs> You're testing you know, my endurance and my mercy and have not heeded my voice they certainly shall not see my land, see the land which I swore of to their fathers, nor shall any of those who rejected me see it. You see, they rejected the season and those days and those times when God was trying to work and do something beautiful and produce a song of praise in their hearts. But in doing so, God's, God says, you were testing me and rejecting me. Therefore, you won't enter in. And so for this generation of Israel, of course, the, leg, the, the lesson is in a negative sense. Uh, but, but in reality, we can look at it in the positive sense. And, you know, God has a glorious plan and purpose. He had it for Israel. He had a wonderful inheritance. But they weren't going to enter in, at least not that generation, Right? The nation would, but they as a generation would not, would personally not experience it. And it was because God had a test where he had a seri series of experiences, a season that he would lead them through to do a work of beauty, to develop a beautiful response of faith and trust and hope. But that generation didn't allow it to be developed Thankfully, there was a remnant. Well, it was a pretty small remnant, right? Two out of a million. I don't know. Just those two, Caleb and Joshua, of whom the Lord said they had a different spirit. You see, they believed and they responded well in those 10 trials, those 10 tests. And because of that, they entered the land. Now, you know, we talked about the number uh, 10, and really, that's showing the, one of the keys, you know, the key of developing this song of praise 
to the lamb that we're going to sing for all eternity is found in the 10 tests. And of course, we, we have to relate the number 10 to the law of the Lord. And those, those 10 commandments he gave on the tablets of stones to Moses that he received on the, the mountain of the Lord. And, and, and so for us, that, needs, that represents the need for our lives to become aligned to the law of the Lord or to the cornerstone of Christ, looking at it from a New, New Testament perspective of his ways. And, you know, but if relating it back to that song of worship, you know, the real power in worship comes from a life that allows the 10 strings of righteousness to be played. The 10 strings, or, or maybe you could say our, the 10 strings of our lives to be tuned to play God's beautiful song. There's nothing worse than an instrument that is not tuned trying to play. That, that's an abomination to my ears. <laughs> you know, if an instrument's out of tune, it's just, oh. And it can be one in the midst of a whole symphony, but if that instrument's out of tune, that's what everyone hears. And you see, that's really what God's trying to do. That's what he was trying to do in Israel. Imagine a whole congregation that was out of tune and only two were in tune. How that must have tested the ears of the Lord. But you see, God takes us through experiences that causes our strings to become tuned to his ways, to his song. The ten strings of our life to become in tune with his law and his ways, you know, which causes beautiful sounds to be produced through our lives. Now, there's many examples in Scripture we can consider. I'll just look at, at just a few quickly here. But, you know, in Ezekiel 14, the prophet talks about the three most righteous men. Each one in their generation was, was one of the most righteous men. And of course, that, that was Noah, Daniel, and Job. What's interesting is that each of these men has, has a reference to 10 in relation to their testing. You know, we've already considered Daniel, and so, you know, we can consider the other two, Noah. You know, Noah directly says he was one of the most righteous in the midst of great wickedness and darkness that had descended upon the earth. He was found to be just or perfect in his generation, you know, righteous in his generation. And because of his good responses to the Lord, he responded in faith. He qualified. And what did he qualify for? A special captivity <laughs> in the ark. <laughs> but it preserved him. That's another thing we could bring out. Really, these 10, you know, these 10 tests are really designed to preserve us in the midst of trial. But, you know, that, that often seems to be case the case in our spiritual journey. We do well in one trial. So what does that do? It qualifies us for <laughs> a different level of trial, you know, to go through something a little more intense. But the difference we see with these, these saints is, is somehow they were able to look at their trials with a different perspective, you know, that it was worth it to go through what they were doing because God was going to produce something beautiful. They would sing a beautiful song in his kingdom. You know, for Noah, his, his pathway 
was to build an ark. And I'm sure he had many experiences associated with that. Right? He was called a preacher of righteousness uh, by Peter. But I can imagine some of the questions of those who were listening to him were like, why are you building an ark? It's going to rain? What's rain? Right? I mean, a lot of things that were outside of their sphere. You know, how can the earth flood? <laughs> what does that even mean? It would be interesting to watch the, you know, or understand or maybe see some of these t- things take a pass in heaven. You know, we can look back at the reruns and see some of the things that were asked him of him. But yet he determined, I'm going to walk in the season and the test that God has appointed for him. But Noah and his family, they entered into the ark. And it's interesting, what, what we can bring out here is interesting how long they were in the boat. They were in the boat, you know, many days it rained upon the earth and the earth was totally covered in water and they were just floating there. Um, And it says this in Genesis 8, 5, it says, and the waters decreased continually until the 10th month. And in the 10th month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. And so Noah was willing to enter the ark, his captivity, but in the 10th month, the waters receded and the land was seen again. And so, you know, Noah, he submitted to his captivity, but in the end, he inherited the earth. Uh, one more person, Job, right? He was the other righteous and perfect uh, man in his generation. In fact, God proclaimed that in an assembly in heaven. And we're just reading about it in the, in the book. You know, and so he represents someone who had wholly followed the Lord. But there was a further song that God wanted to develop, wanted to develop in Job's life. And so what does the Lord do? He ordains another, another string. Right? Or, I don't know. That might be worth a couple of strings in his life. But it was an intense time. You know, they passed through many different aspects of trials, you know, that we can read about in the book. But you know, even though you can go through a trial or a difficulty, there's a different level that happens when other people come along. And sometimes it's like they make it 10 times worse. And that was with Job, right? I mean, he lost his family. He lost his, his flocks and herds and so forth. And what happens? Well, his friends come along and they bring judgment. Instead of, instead of like comfort and encouragement, Job... You did something wrong. Just just confess. Just tell us what you did wrong. You, you have a hidden sin. That's the only way this could happen. Right? And, and so after long conversations, Job finally responds in this way. Job 19 and verse 2. He said, how long will you torment my soul? You know, in other places, he calls them miserable comforters. But he said, and you break me in pieces with words. These 10 times have you reproached me. And you were not ashamed that you have wronged me. And so Job's trial was his circumstances. And of course, the real trial in that was God was silent. But also that people that God had allowed to come into his life and, I say this with quotes, minister to him. Right? But sometimes God has his ministers that uh, are not necessarily ministers of righteousness, but they're, they're doing a work in our lives. Right? They're helping us to develop a song of praise and sometimes a song of meekness right? and a song of humility. 
but it's, it's a beautiful work. And if we can respond in our trial, instead of responding to them as is the natural response in us, but if we can look to the Lord and sing a song of praise to the Lamb and cry out for grace to endure, to overcome, and you know, to develop the response of meekness and humility and the fear of the Lord, what a song we will be able to sing in heaven. Now, there's other, other areas we could touch on. You know, in fact, I'll mention one more. So we have a few minutes left. I'll mention one more was, um, you know, Nehemiah in the times of the Restoration era. Um, you know, that, that really speaks to us as the church because, you know, they, the, the Restoration era refers a lot to the Feast of Tabernacles, some of the significant events took place in the Feast of Tabernacles. So it speaks of, of rebuilding the work of God, of the temple and the walls and so forth. And, you know, when that was taking place, there was a lot of opposition to them rebuilding. And so the enemy sought to, to oppose them, to stop, stop the work of restoration through fear and intimidation. And, and it says this in Nehemiah 4, verse 12. It says, so it was when the Jews who drew near them came. It says they told us 10 times from whatever place you turn, they will be upon us. Therefore, I positioned men upon the lower parts of the wall and the openings. And I set people according to their families with their swords and spears and bows. And I looked and I rose and said to the nobles of the leaders, to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight for your brethren and your sons and your daughters and your wives and your houses. And so 10 times Nehemiah had to stand against the fear of the enemy and the threats of the enemy, the opposition that the enemy brought. And, and they didn't stop building. They continued to build. But, but, that's, but like Spurgeon said, they had a sword in one hand and a trowel in the other to build the walls and, and so forth. But, you know, even in that, there's a song of praise that God wants to develop, that God is our defense. In fact, we sang that. I think that was one of the phrases in some of the songs we sang. He is our defense. You know, we can safely trust in him and not be moved. He is our deliverance. And so God wants to put a song of praise in our hearts. He wants to develop a beautiful song. Not just that we sing on this earth, but I appreciate beautiful songs that we can sing and worship the Lord to. But you know, the real songs that we're going to sing are what God has developed through our lives and as we've walked with him. Because we want to be like that group that can stand on Mount Zion and sing, that we have the ability to learn those songs and sing those songs to him. And the only way we can learn that is as we follow the Lamb wherever He leads us on this earth. Or we can be like those in, in Revelation 15, just the next chapter over. There's a, it speaks of another group standing upon the sea of glass. And, and the, it says they are those who overcame the beast and his image. And because they overcame, it says in Revelation 15 and verse 3, it says they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty, just and true are your ways, O King of saints. 
And so God has a song for us that he wants us to be able to sing for all eternity. And it's a song that is burst in us upon our 10 strings, right? As we allow our strings to become tuned to the song of heaven, to the song of the lamb. We'll have to go through some testings. There's no, no avoiding that. We might have to enter into an ark or two, right? Some captivities. We'll be tested on our meat, whether we stand for righteousness or holiness. We'll be tested by others. And others are more than happy to test us, it seems. Right? But those days are numbered by the Lord. And as we respond to him, they will not be one day longer than they need to be. But it's all so that we might learn a new song, a song of beauty, the song of the Lamb, and have the privilege of standing around his throne and singing that song for all eternity. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that this life is an opportunity to learn the song of the Lamb. And Father, we just cry out to you for grace to do that. Lord, we recognize there's a, a pathway to follow. And Lord, that there's steps that we must take. And there's, Lord, an alignment that must take place in our lives. But Lord, we cry out to you that you would bring us to that place, oh, of following you and allowing you to work. Lord, do your full work within us. Lord, allow that full work to take place. Let us not be like Israel who looks this way or that way. But Lord, give us that different spirit of Caleb and Joshua to do whatever it would take, oh Lord, to allow your full work to take place in us. Lord, we want to follow you wherever you would lead us. Would you do that, that we can have a beautiful song of praise unto the Lamb for all eternity, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.